This is the Other Bundesliga podcast. On this episode, we're looking back at Austria's campaign in Group C at Euro 2020. Hello, dear listeners. This is the Other Bundesliga podcast. I'm your host, Tom Midler, and I'm joined today by the usual co-hosts. That's Lee Wingate and Simon Clark. And we're going to be looking back on an historic Euro 2020 campaign so far for Austria. The first time in 39 years, Austria secured progression through the group stage of a major tournament, thanks to an impressive 1-0 win against Ukraine. That left Austria second in Group C, and it sets up a last 16 tie against tournament favourites Italy at Wembley on Saturday. Wow. What do you make of that, guys? I mean, I can't believe it. We're we're in shock here at the other Bundesliga. It's incredible. Yeah, Simon and I watched the game yesterday in, in Flanagan's pub um, in, in central Vienna. I think the the main emotion was was surprise because you know that 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 middle game was was pretty drab. We'll talk a little bit more about it later. But just to see Austria play like that and to yeah, to make history. It's been been so long, so many decades, and particularly when you consider the negative mood among not only us, but I think the the general public going into this tournament. What a what a lovely, yeah, lovely thing to happen. What was the uh, match atmosphere like? It was okay. You know, I think I think it's fair to say that that, that Austria doesn't have perhaps the most passionate football fans uh, in Europe when you when you perhaps compare them to, to some other countries but it was all right there was a lot of cheering a lot of happiness at the end you're in a you're in a fan park in Innsbruck weren't you Tom was it a fan I park was indeed yeah it, well it was like a it was a it was called the Bierstindl I don't think it's anything to do with Lars Stindl German footballer um but uh, but it was in yeah I was in a Bierstindl in Innsbruck under the shade of a tree glorious weather massive screen um and we were right at the front it was great. It felt like the old days, you know, a huge fan park, loads of people in there having a great time. And we were right at the front and there was a big truck parked underneath the screen. I thought, what's that truck doing there? What's that for? And then I realized with glee that the truck was the refrigerator for the beer at the park. And we were, uh, by dint of the fact that we were sitting on the first table, the first people to be served beer every time they went back to the fridge to uh, to start serving. So it was all in all a very good day. And I actually have a little bit of a hangover today for the first time in years. I, I was like properly drunk last night, missed the train back, uh, ran for the train, missed the train back by seconds, went to a, a locals bar and got Got talking to some people, um, you know, about about the football, and there were lots of um, lots of fans of uh, Churchisov, the the Russia coach in Innsbruck last night, because because of his uh, his Vaca Innsbruck past. So it was all in all a bit of a, a bit of a strange occasion. But I had to get a very long and very expensive taxi back home last night because I, not only did I miss the second last train, but I then had another beer and missed the last train as well. So <laughs> I think it's safe to say that I enjoyed myself. What about you, Simon? Well, uh, yeah, the Flanagan's was was pretty fun. Um, although, I mean, for, for an Austria game, probably an, an Irish pub is not the uh, optimal place. But it was a good atmosphere. But looking at videos of the fan parks across Vienna, that there, there, there's some big fan parks in, in Prater Park that uh, I saw videos of, and it looked like a fun atmosphere, really, really, really cool. 
I watched the Austria game against Holland in a fan park as well. And I mean, I feel like Austrians are not the most passionate, but I feel like they really do support their team. It's pretty crazy, wasn't it? And and also this tournament, I've had a few hangovers here and there, Tom. So <laughs> I'll join you on that. We had the, the the guys like buying rounds for everybody, standing on tables, singing, loads of atmosphere. I, I, I half thought sitting on the front table that there could be sort of a, a shower of beer from behind when the goal went in so that was that that sort of paints the picture of where I was but uh, I'm really glad to to have been there and and sort of experienced that and and I'm just slightly frustrated that I now have two tickets I, I in my possession I have two tickets to to every single one of Austria's European championship wins ever but I haven't been able to go to the games so <laughs> that's just frustrating but um never mind I, I was I'm just really happy with the way it went yesterday yeah, just to go uh, quickly touch back on, on on the hangovers there. Simon took absolutely no persuasion yesterday when he said to me, Lee, shall I drink for the 13th day in a row? And I said, oh, all right then. And he said, okay. <laughs> and, it, and now he's working his way through one of those those cards. You get a sticker every time you order a Heineken beer. And once you get five yeah. Heineken, then you get the sixth one free. So Simon's working his way towards a, a sixth free Heineken. Uh, at yeah, the I told the guys yesterday that I, I had a revelation and I'm expecting hate, but uh, so I went to, to the two Euro games in, in Budapest. My first revelation was that Budapest is a great city and it, it had been ruined for me after our trip there six years ago that we shall not talk about. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very fun weekend we had. This was way before the other Bundesliga existed. We went to Budapest and had a great time. But also Heineken's very tasty, but, but maybe it's just because I was, you know, in, at the Euros and everything tastes better or, or, your, or your taste buds and just your your awareness of things become way more heightened but yeah I I like Heineken now which is uh, something I'm very surprised about. (laughs) I'm actually also in the Heineken club in a way I haven't drunk any Heineken for for a long time but I guess I think it gets a bit of stick that that it doesn't necessarily deserve. This is where we get hate tweets for the first time I think. (laughs) The beginning of the end for the other Bundesliga. How how could you live in Austria and drink Heineken? Oh it's disgraceful. (laughs) We're not sponsored it's not like we're sponsored by Heineken so you know we're not we're not benefiting from this. Yeah yeah. Oh, well. Lee, did you have a look at some of the newspapers from, from today? Obviously, waking up in Austria today, it's a, it's a pretty satisfying feeling for an Austrian football fan, isn't it? It's, it's an unusual, I have this unusual calm over me, you know, just Austrian football is, is in a good place for today, at least. Maybe it's just a temporary thing, but the, the newspapers were, were extremely happy. Quite a big turnaround from the, the Netherlands game, for sure. Kronenzeitung uh, with the headline Historisch. I don't think I need to translate that one. And erstmals bei einer Euro ins Achtelfinale aufgestiegen. So the, the first last 16 appearance a Euro ever. Um, Heute and Standard, very similar headlines. Wembley willkommen, Italian willkommen. So Wembley or, or Italy coming. And uh, I quite like this one because I just don't think you would ever phrase it like this in, in English. Courier writing. Die Reise durch Europa geht weiter. So the journey through Europe continues. So, yeah, I think the uh, the Austrian newspaper is very much getting into the spirit of, of what's going on at the moment. But if we're talking about the journey continuing for Austria, it, how much, you know, in what sort of perspective is this in terms of uncharted territory and and previous tournaments? You know, where, where does this stand in the not so great pantheon of, of Austrian uh, performances at tournaments? 
Well, pretty remarkable. In the Euros, obviously their first time qualifying from the group stage, their first two victories in the Euros as well, the first time progressing from a group in the Euros. In terms of, of overall history, this is Austria's 10th tournament. And it's actually the, the, their fifth time progressing from the groups, which sounds pretty good. But when you look at it and realize that those times were in 82, 78, 54 and 34, you see that this is a, a very historical moment. It's their first time progressing from a group stage since 1982. The, uh, the first tournament win against Macedonia uh, since they beat USA in Florence in, in, in the 1990 World Cup. Um, this will be their first uh, knockout game in a major tournament since 1954, which is just mad. Um, and they, they lost 6-1 to West Germany in the semifinals in that tournament, although they won against Uruguay in the third-place playoff. I'm not sure if we clarify the third-place playoff as, as, as a knockout game, but anyway, since 1954, it's, it's the, the most wins they've had in the tournament since 1982. It's just, yeah, it's all these things. That it's, it's, it's pure history. It's pure history for, for, for Austria. And yeah, we're, we're living through a wonderful time in, in, in the annals of Austrian football history right now. It's amazing, isn't it? How, how that one win changes the, the complexion of what could almost have been deemed a, a failure for the tournament. And now suddenly Austria are, are into this pretty much uncharted territory. And I think it was worth mentioning, you, you talked about all these old tournaments. You know, even if they've qualified 50% of the time uh, from those, you know, from in those tournaments, those were tournaments with far fewer teams back in the day. And then I know we glossed over 1982 online yesterday on Twitter, but you know, we can't gloss over that either. Yes, they did get through a group stage in, in 82, but even that was like morally, they didn't really, you know, it was, it was the, the, the scandal of Kihon where they passed the ball around without even pretending they were up to anything else, you know, just like completely not attacking against their opponents and their, people were worried about the same thing happening. You know, that is the very reason that game is the reason that the games now take place simultaneously. So if, if that's the last time Austria got through, it also wasn't exactly a, a, a memorable occasion in a good way. So at least that's, that's sort of been laid to rest, hasn't it, by this? It has been laid to rest, but, but heading into the game yesterday, people were imagining Austria and Ukraine doing a similar thing, <laughs> which is like, obviously Austria's, Austria's a little bit tarnished by that uh, by the episode in 1982, but people were expecting a similar thing yesterday, but it was the opposite, wasn't it? I don't think there were any Algeria fans uh, cheering for Austria yesterday. <laughs> I think that that would be fair to say, given the, the goings on of, uh, of 1982. Anyway, should we take a little break and then look back over the group stages? I'm really looking forward to doing this. We obviously looked forward at each of the games in our last podcast. That was really nice to, to hear from the experts from North Macedonia, from Holland and from Ukraine as well. But now we get the chance to look back, knowing what's gone on in the games, knowing what's happened, knowing how Austria have set up. So uh, in just a little while, we will look back through Austria's three games at the Euros so far. The Sweeper is brought to you by FOTMOB, the essential app for football fans. Get live scores, tables, detailed stats, breaking news, transfer updates, and much, much more for more than 350 competitions around the world. And there are some new features too, including live XG data and detailed statistical breakdowns for selected leagues and tournaments, including, of course, Euro 2020. Whether you're a casual football fan, a stats nut, or somewhere in between, FOTMOB is the perfect app for you, and it's free. Download it on Android or iOS now by searching for FOTMOB. That's F-O-T-M-O-B. 
Right then, guys, uh, we talked on the last podcast about our Euro 2020 predictions on FOTMOB. Who picked a team, you know, maybe a dark horse who's already out of the competition or or a winner who's uh, not looking so good at the moment? And, you know, maybe uh, who's looking great, who's, whose prediction still looks on course? Simon, you're shaking your head. I, I think <laughs> maybe maybe you're not looking too happy. Uh, I predicted Turkey in second. It's just like, yeah... I, I think I fell into the trap. I looked at Turkey's team and I thought, you know what? In defence, they're pretty strong, but they just had an awful tournament. And uh, if I'm honest, I predicted Austria finishing in third. So that, that's also uh, thrown out as well. So my predictions are not looking super good right now. Yeah, to touch on the Turkey thing, I think they had the fifth worst tournament in Euro history, which is a record that, that absolutely nobody wants. And I also thought that they would do relatively well. So I was wrong on that, but I was right on on Italy having a bit of a barnstorming tournament so far so that's one for us to to look at a little bit later um yeah good call on yeah. Italy. yeah they just look very solid but 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 let's not think too much about that right now because um <laughs> i'm in an optimistic mood and i don't want it to go yeah no definitely not my picks were belgium and france for the final so um, my picks were looking a bit rocky because I, actually i think france haven't been that great so far they were outplayed by germany for my money and also drew with hungary of course um I mean, they're, they're, they're going to go through, they're going to be fine. But France v Belgium was was my pick. Belgium, obviously, top of their group looking good. And my outside, my dark horses were Denmark. So that's been a very, very rocky road indeed. But then after last night's heroics, they got through. I think a lot of neutrals very happy to see that one. So my prediction of Denmark going going long in the tournament, maybe it's going to come back around and uh, and end up being correct. But uh, let's move to Austria's tournament, Group C. Simon, you said you had them down in third place. I had them down in third place. My prediction was Austria to be one of the third place teams who don't qualify for the next round. That's where I thought they would end up. But I've never been happier to be wrong. And let's fast forward or or wind the clock back, in fact, rather than fast forward. uh, Just a few days, because it wasn't long ago that Austria were opening up in a rainy Bucharest against North Macedonia. It was the the 3-5-1-1 from Franco Foda with Alaba uh, shocking everybody by being started in the middle of a back three. Nobody really saw that coming, but it was a good start, wasn't it? Austria fulfilled their duties on match day one of the Euros. Yeah, this game was absolutely pivotal. We said that at the start. Of all the teams in the group, you know, on paper, North Macedonia were the weakest and and it was pivotal that, that Austria got off to a winning start in this game. That they did, and, and Alaba being in the centre of a back three did not stop him from from popping up on the left wing and producing probably one of the best crosses of the tournament for for Gregoric's goal. But yeah, before that, it was a bit of a, a bit of a crazy first half. You had a lovely goal from from Stefan Leiner popping up at the back post uh, with a volley from Marcel Sabitzer's his ball. That was a lovely, lovely opening goal. That pass from Sabitzer. Yeah, I mean, on a plate. It was such a great goal, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it's probably go down as the one of the iconic Austria tournament goals, really. It was really well executed. And then you had the, the terrible mix-up between Bachmann and, and Alaba at the back, where you just thought everything's going well. And, and a mistake lets in Goran Pandev, 37-year-old Goran Pandev, to, to put North Macedonia back in the game. At that point, you're thinking, oh God, is this really happening? Is this is this the way that this is going? But yeah, Alaba's cross to uh, to Gregoric to, to, to score and then Arnautovic rounding the goalkeeper. 3-1, great start, loved it. Yeah, the Gregoric goal. I mean, the, the liner goal was better given that pass from Sabitzer, but the Gregoric goal was was a real a moment of elation. I think it was always that 
that way, wasn't it? At 1-1 for quite a long time, it was really starting to be a question of can Austria find a winner? The game was getting a little bit later. Time was just starting to tick away. And it's it's a delightful cross from Alaba and great movement from Gregorich as well, just, just nipping in to get in front of his man and, and poke home. And it, it was it was the perfect start in many ways. And I thought Alaba kind of summed it up. I find a lot of a lot of armchair fans, you know, you can easily watch a game like that and and people almost didn't notice how good Alaba was. If Alaba didn't have the assist, you wouldn't necessarily have noticed. And people I, I think football fans don't always have the right perspective to watch and judge players. I mean, myself very much included in that. Um, we we notice certain things that stand out, like a little mistake here or there, or something excellent, like a goal or an assist. But general performance levels are quite hard to watch unless you really know what you're looking for. And then you saw the stats at the end of the game. And and that really, it was only really when you saw it on paper that you realised what a game Alaba had had at, at this uh, central position. I mean, he was moved a bit further forward later on, but but what a, what a job. I think he had something like 12% of the possession of the whole match. Yeah, it was an incredible performance. And um, I mean, we, went, we said in our preview that if David Alaba turns it on, so will Austria. And in that game, he was just phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And it just shows that, you know, when your one world-class player properly plays, it, it helps the whole team tick along, you know, and uh, that was really a perfect perfect way to start the tournament for Austria, apart from the, the Anatovic incident at the end, but I'm sure you would all have read about that extensively, which meant that Arnautovic wasn't able to play in the second game of the tournament for Austria. Yeah, any hot takes on the, on the Arnautovic issue? It's an issue I don't really want to get <laughs> into, really, but um, I feel like um, a one-match pan... Well, there's one thing, it's He's a bit of an idiot, isn't he, to, 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 to be doing that. He, yes, we know he, he's a bit of a hothead, but, to, you know, he was, he was targeted by Macedonia players because, because they know that Arnautovic is a bit of a hothead and he put it on a platter for, for them, didn't he? So, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the old fingers finger to the lips kind of shush gesture would have been the ideal response really there, wouldn't it? <laughs> silence the crowd, silence the players who've been chipping away at him all game long, but... Alas, he did not do that. I loved some of the memes that were popping up on Twitter as well with, with Alaba grabbing Arnautovic, sort of his hand either side of Arnautovic's mouth. And people were saying, you know, when your dog eats something and you want to check what he's eaten, because he was really <laughs> just, just pushing his mouth open there. Um, but yeah, I just think, you know, for countries like Austria, as as we've said many times in the past, tournaments like this are not a guarantee. And when you get to a tournament, especially at Arnautovic's age, you know, you're not going to have many more left. Don't do stupid stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, very, very stupid. Unfortunately, he's back now. Yeah, but in the end, uh, overall, of course, uh, that aside, it was a very, very good night. Austria's first ever win in the Euros, some iconic photos, not just Alaba grabbing Arnautovic's face, but also Alaba celebrating uh, on top of this team huddle, just jumping up from behind. That's going to be an iconic Austrian football photo for many, many years. The whole team celebrating and, and Alaba, the talisman, the captain at the back, sort of jumping over on the top and, and punching the air. It was a fantastic night. Um, again, brings back the, the disappointment that I had a ticket to be there. Uh, sorry, I'm going to think about that every time I talk about these games. <laughs> but uh, no, it was a fantastic night, a 3-1 win. Austria off to the the perfect start in the group and then up next uh, it was the game that was always going to be a very very difficult one away uh, with the the home advantage for the Netherlands in Amsterdam against 
probably most people's favorites to top the group. Can I just start by talking about where I watched this game? Because it was probably the worst bar I've been to in Vienna. (laughs) Definitely the worst public viewing. It's called uh, Schankwirtschaft and it is uh, up in the, uh, well, over by Algarten. And they had probably a ratio of about one waiter for every 200 customers. Some of my friends ordered food at like seven o'clock and got it at like 10 o'clock. We had like one drink all evening because we managed to convince a waiter to take our order. Absolute disaster. Um, and we were watching with, with Thomas. So our, our friend Thomas, the only Dutch fan in the entire bar who was getting some some pretty dirty looks from from some of the Austria fans. But yeah, it was it was just a bit of an, an abject performance in this one. I was I was quite surprised that uh, Austria started with Sabitzer and Gregoric as the two front men. Obviously, they were without Arnautovic, but it kind of felt like they had two attacking midfielders there and, and no real out-and-out forward. And um, yeah, obviously, it took took a bit of a bad turn early on when, when Alaba committed that foul right in the very, very corner of the penalty area. And... Uh, yeah, slotted home by Depay, and it was it was not looking good from there. And then it was a breakaway goal in the second half. Marlon finding Dumfries to to tap into an empty net, two 0 and um, it was a pretty abject performance overall from Austria. I think during this game, I had almost an opposite experience as Lee did, because I was really really drunk during this game, so I don't really remember <laughs> too much of it. But I remember I remember there being um, a lot of uh, a lot of annoyance from the Austrian fans there that they felt. Austria could, could have been a lot more attacking. And I know in the press coverage after the game, Foda took quite a lot of criticism because of uh, the way he set Austria out. Um, and you know, you'd like to think if, if, if potentially Austria had played like, like they did in the final group game, they could have given Holland a real test. Because this is a Holland team that don't have a good defence. They can see goals quite freely, really. Um, so uh, it's a shame that Austria couldn't, uh, capitalize on that, but yeah, in terms of any tactical analysis, <laughs> you can re- you, you can re- you can completely re- write me off for this game, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to see that we've obviously been out and about enjoying the Euros properly. You know, we're we're, we're working hard, but we're also enjoying the Euros properly. So I'm very happy about that. But it was it was a disappointing one, wasn't it? You know, I think at the end of the day, we all knew that Austria probably weren't going to win the game. But to see the way that that they were defeated, I wonder if Foda sort of um, painted himself into a corner by playing Alaba at centre-back and it worked so well in the first game that he almost felt that he had to do that in the second game. It was a different formation. You you mentioned it with Sabitzer and Gregoric up front, Lee. But I, I thought for me, one of the key things was that they marked, the Netherlands marked uh, Xaver Schlager completely out of the game. They made him look very ordinary. Every time that he was on the ball, he had no chance to do his usual uh, sort of turn and, and move forward and, and try and make something happen. He was just completely surrounded. And so he gave the ball away several times. Um, and it just it just didn't look good. But Austria's pass ratios and stuff that they had more possession, they had more passes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but it just doesn't tell the true story because actually they they passed back to to Bachmann in goal more than they passed to almost anybody else. It was it was an incredibly busy performance from Austria, knocking it about their own defence, and and they just didn't get forward. Yeah, all the chances were at the other end. You know, you look at some of those that, that happened just before halftime. Depay had that golden chance where he sort of got the ball at the back post and fired it way over the bar and, you know, head in his hands. It was a really, really awful miss. And then Veghorst, shortly after the interval, you know, um, had a had a save made by a backman. So 
the the chances were all at the Dutch end, and I think that the margin of, of victory, or, or in Austria's case, the margin of defeat, could have been quite a lot higher, really. And um, you know, w- we knew it was coming. Um, by the time that by the time that second goal went in, we knew that they were going to lose anyway because it was it was all one way traffic, really. Yeah, just a very flat performance. And I think it's probably the same for you guys, but obviously we've got friends all around the world who look to us for a bit of Austrian football stuff and they'll text us if Austria get a good result. You know, if Austria score a nice goal or whatever, suddenly I get messages from people saying, hey, you know, this side are pretty good, aren't they? Or or, who's that guy? Like, I don't know anything about him. And it was after this one that people were then just saying, you know, what is up? I thought this Austria side have some good players or I've, I've heard about some of their players and then what on earth was that? I thought it was going to be exciting watching them against the Netherlands, but you know, they played like a, like a complete underdog outsider that never really believed they were going to do anything. Yeah. It's almost like Foda after the win against Macedonia, he was like, you know what, against Holland, we don't have to, you know, try that hard because the, the final game is the most important game. I, I don't think he, he, I don't think he fought that, but the, the way Austria played, it seemed like that, that they didn't think they could get anything against Holland. So they were like almost resting, waiting for the for the final group game um it's a shame because i I think that that holland are there for the taking so it was not a great performance in amsterdam it was not indeed and it left everything in the balance austria with three points ukraine with three points going into match day three back in bucharest um all sorts of permutations i think one of the main ones being that ukraine were ahead um, on head-to-head on goal scored. So a draw would have left Ukraine in second, obviously guaranteed to go through. For most of the build-up, we didn't know whether four points would be enough, but uh, it seemed likely that a draw would suit both teams. Um, Ukraine would be guaranteed second. Austria would go through probably in third with that draw as well. So a lot of teams were, a lot of people were fearing a repeat of this uh, 82 disaster with uh, with sort of no attacks, but it only took about, 90 seconds, didn't it, after the, the whistle was blown to start the game that Austria completely dispelled any any thoughts of that against Ukraine. Yeah, and within minutes, Simon had turned to me, took a brief break from tucking into his chicken Caesar salad, turned to me and said, uh, you know, is is Foda still in charge, you know, with it within minutes of this? Because <laughs> it was it was absolutely rampant. It was just it was one way traffic. They were so dynamic. It was I've not seen Austria play like that since we started covering Austrian football. And I've not seen Austria really try to win a game that much uh, as well. Um, and yeah, the only goal of the game came from from Baumgartner from a corner. But there were so many chances in that game. You know, you had Arnautovic, you know, scuffing the ball wide from, from Schupf's pass. And it could have been much, much more. I, was, I don't think I've ever seen a, a, a convincing Austria performance quite like that. Yeah, certainly the best Austria performance I've ever seen. The most enjoyable one. We couldn't believe it. The the atmosphere, as you can imagine, in the fan park as well, was really lifted by that. And to see Austria pressing, to see Austria hurrying, how many times did this talented, it should be said as well, this talented Ukraine side knock the ball out of play, overhit a pass, just miss hit it. Every time Austria gave the ball away, just as you're about to groan, they just chased after it and won it back straight away as well. It was, I've never really seen that. And uh, again, so many players just putting the effort in all over the pitch. You saw it, you know, really completely at both ends. As soon as they lost the ball, they just chased after Ukraine and they were not ready for it. 
Can I just add as well, like I, you know, there's lots of players that perform really, really well. One player that probably won't get that much credit is Bachmann because he didn't have that much to do. And I'm by no means a goalkeeping expert, but there was a moment there where Shaparenko had a shot from the left and Bachmann pushed, he dived full stretch, but pushed it down into the ground and it bounced over Yarmolenko's foot. And I thought that was brilliant because you, you might see most goalkeepers sort of just trying to get a hand on that and palm it, but he it looked like he deliberately pushed that down into the ground and it bounced over Yarmolenko. Otherwise, he would have had a, a tap in. So I thought, yeah, from, from goalkeeper right to the very front, they were excellent, every man. Yeah, it was just a really wonderful wonderful performance. And I, mean, I put a tweet out in the first half, like, who is this Austria? Where have they come from? Why are they playing so well? And uh, I think uh, it, it captured the, 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 the uh, mood of the game. But just a shout out to a couple of players we didn't mention. I think for Florian Grilich, was absolutely fantastic yesterday as well. I think Xavier Schlager, also brilliant. Um, David Alaba, of course, just a, 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 a true leader. He's become a true leader in this team. And uh, it, it was the team that we imagined Austria c- could play as, you know? All these young attacking talents going forward, pressing like how Rebel Salts were doing on the European stage, how Lask have been doing, finally that it was a replication of the football being played in, in Austria. And I guess in a lot of these uh, teams in Germany that the Austria players play for, it was a replication of that. And they were brilliant. In, in fact, I think the only player who, who didn't have a, a decent game was Arnautovic, ironically. And, um, but everyone else to a man were just absolutely brilliant. And it was high-pressing, great, great football. And it was a joy to watch, an absolute joy to watch. And you know for a fact, he's not going to play like that. <laughs> Frank Ford is not going to play like that against Italy. So we, we might as well enjoy it whilst we can. Yeah, I think we should probably mention that there was a, a quite a significant formation change for this game. So the, the first two were 3-5-2 or variations of a 3-5-2. In this game, he shifted to a 4-3-3. And I, I can't remember seeing Austria play a 4-3-3 before. It's a little bit too too attack-minded for Franco Foda usually. But Alaba was back at left-back, Hinteregger and Dragovic in the middle. And then you had Baumgartner, Sabitzer and Arnautovic, all three of them up front. And uh, yeah, it just seemed to really kick them into life, didn't it? Let's talk Arnautovic as well, though. You've both mentioned, you know, Simon said it's not really his best game. He's probably probably one of the worst performers for Austria on the day. Um, missed a great chance that Schupp put on a plate for him on that counter. And uh, a couple, uh, I think Sabitzer set him up with a, a clever touch as well, which he couldn't make a good connection on. Question, do Austria play in the way that they managed in that first 20, 30, 40 minutes if Arnautovic is not on the pitch? Because I felt like, although he didn't actually have a good game in front of goal or, or in the penalty area, I felt that he was actually sort of, his presence was sort of required to get this good start from Austria as well. I mean, it's a fair point, Tom, and and, and you, you might be right, but I think uh, with Arnautovic, he, he is the, the man up front, so obviously you're going to focus on the missed chances. But in terms of the way Austria played, I think it was more important with, with, with Sabitza and Palmgartner, really, and the pressing of the midfield. I think Arnautovic... Yeah, it is also an important an important uh, cog in the wheel. But I feel like uh, players like Schlager and Grilich really were the uh, important members of that performance in the first half, particularly. I just wondered if if Kalajic was starting up front in the centre there, if Austria still have the same kind of bite. Uh, of course, I think uh, Kalajic would have scored the chances that came on out of his way. You wonder if like a bit of time in China has sort of lost him a little bit of sharpness. Um, 
who knows really on that front but yeah i still felt like he he had a he had a key role and, and was really important to the way this side played, even if uh, you're quite right in mentioning the likes of Grilich, well, Leimer, Schlager, who, who can you not mention really? Everybody pretty much had their best game in, in an Austria shirt yesterday. That's what was so incredible about it, all of this together. Um, I just want to give a quick mention to Baumgartner, the goal scorer as well, though, because that was, it was quite a bizarre, um, it's quite a bizarre passage of, of a few minutes for Christoph Baumgartner because he won the header in his own penalty area to defend uh, Ukraine corner. And it was a really nasty clash of heads. You know, he fully wins the header. So he's fully sort of flinging his head to the left. And then you, the Ukraine striker comes in with a sort of late headed challenge and absolutely smashes into his head. Looked like a really painful one for Baumgartner. Um, he stays on the pitch. A couple of minutes later, he's quick enough to get in there and, and score from a, a corner, which is the first time I remember Austria actually effectively using a set piece or, or, or finding a teammate from a set piece in this tournament as well, actually. Um, and then a couple of minutes later, you know, his head is, start, is starting to swell and he feels that the, the headache, the pain is coming along and has to go off the pitch. So uh, incredible that sort of in the time between the injury occurring and having to leave the pitch, he scored the winning goal for Austria. Um, very strange. And I wonder if there'll be some discussion about the concussion protocol. Although, you know, he didn't appear to be knocked out, I don't think. Well, this is kind of what we what we talk about quite often when it when it relates to concussion. You want precautions to be taken. And it was, as Franco Foda admitted after the game, a precautionary measure and he's actually doing okay. So I think that, you know, in in that sense they did make the right call. I guess the question is, did they make the call early enough? From a from a, a results based point of view, you're happy that they've left Baumgartner on the pitch there, but you know, arguably that should have been taken earlier, that decision. Yeah, but in the end, Baumgartner, it was the hero, the only goal. Austria secured second place. Any thoughts of Austria playing for third, playing for a draw, perhaps even being happier with third place um, because there's a potential to draw an easier team. For me, that all went out of the window during that performance. I think it's much better in terms of momentum for Austria to actually put on a display like this. Could have won 2-0, could have been very, very comfortable against Ukraine. And they, they never... I mean, Ukraine had one or two chances. You mentioned that uh, you described that Bachmann save really nicely earlier, but it would have been very, very unjust, I think, if Ukraine had got uh, a point from the game. Um, will Austria be be happier then, do you think, to go ahead to, to Wembley and, and play against Italy? Or will there be a part of them that looks, uh, perhaps if, if the third place team goes on to play against uh, Slovakia or somebody else, I don't know if that's even possible, but... You know, is is there going to be a bit of a disappointment there, or or is this just a better way? Uh, no, I don't think so. Because uh, for Austria to to progress out of the group was the overall target, and they achieved that. Yes, they are now going up against arguably the most informed team in the tournament, and also it, it's a local derby as well. Uh, of course, Italy uh, uh, are in the south of Austria, but. I think you play who you play in the tournament. Yes, the, the, the luck of the draw is against them, but this is a cup final now. This is a true test of Franco Foda and this team. And I mean, if you want to go far in the tournament, you need to play against these teams. So I don't think they'll be thinking that. I think they'll be very happy to progress from the group. And now they have a real, real test against Italy. They just have absolutely nothing to lose. That's the nice thing about it. There is nobody that expects... Um, Austria to beat Italy and so the pressure's off you just got to go and give it your best shot and see what happens yeah definitely I think for me 
thinking back, Simon, to all of the stats, the things that you said earlier about the history making moments, everything that comes along with it for Austria in Euro 2020. Can you imagine if, for example, Ukraine had played that well yesterday and Austria had scraped a draw and then they still go through? Then you get this weird scenario where Austria kind of make history, go the furthest they've gone for, for many, many years. They have the, the sort of best tournament that they've had in many, many years, but it would all be sort of in, in inverted commas because you could still feel like Austria, if they qualified in third with four points um, and then drew somebody else and, and sort of lost to that team in the round of 16, you could feasibly imagine Austria having a history-making tournament whilst also uh, not satisfying fans, not keeping the fans happy, and and people would be sort of underwhelmed with a good tournament in that case. Um, and I think this just dispels any of that. And it just means, you know, the win against Ukraine simply means that this has already been a really, really good tournament. You know, bear in mind, you can't stress it enough, really. This is a team who's never won a Euros game. It's simply good to just get Euros games won. You know, any win in, in any major tournament is a is an achievement worth having. And it's an achievement that sticks in the national conscience. You know, this is something, this game will not be forgotten. Baumgartner's goal will not be forgotten. The North Macedonia game, the goals in that, they will not be forgotten. The Netherlands will be, that'll be passed to, to one side. But, you know, a win and a draw is not the same as two wins. It's a, it's it's quite an heroic achievement in in many ways for these players. It will it will be a big moment in their careers. And uh, and I think you're completely right to say that you can go into this Italy game now, completely no expectations on Austria's shoulders. If they get beat three 0 they've still had a wonderful tournament. If they can give Italy a tough time, uh, which Wales did manage the other day, then you know. It's brilliant. The winner gets to keep Sudtirol, I saw on, on Twitter yesterday. <laughs> so just uh, you know, just to add a bit of spice with the local derby. Yeah, it's it's a, a truly evocative match, Austria v Italy, uh, particularly being played at the home of English football as well, uh, where Wembley Stadium. Austria's first game at Wembley since 1973, although they don't want to be reminded of that because England won 7-0 in that game. So they'll be hoping for a better result than that. But uh, this is the fifth this will be the fifth time Austria and Italy have played at a major tournament. They played in World Cup 34-78, World Cup uh, in Italy in 1990 and 98, and Italy won all four. So maybe it's fifth time lucky. And uh, hopefully the English fans at, at Wembley Stadium will be supporting the underdog. As you know, the English do love an underdog. And I feel like after the performance yesterday, who knows? Austria could, could, could uh, get a result here could because <laughs> it's a it's a cut final let me just immediately quash simon's admirable enthusiasm with some stats about italy uh, as it stands they are unbeaten in 30 international matches they have won their last 11 games by a combined goal difference of 32 to 0 the last goal they considered was 1055 minutes ago so you know it doesn't it doesn't get more uphill than that i think i think uh, you know Franco Foda actually, I think, you know, very optimistically said after the the game um, last night that, yes, Italy are in great form, but it has to go wrong for them at some point. Um, but I, I think that that, that that might be a little bit too optimistic. What makes Italy so good at the moment, though? I've, I've watched all of their group games. They have been brilliant. Um, really nice to watch as well. Scored some good goals. I thought the Wales performance was their weakest. You know, 10, 10 men Wales maybe. Um, can show Franco Foda the way to some extent, because even even after the red card, Wales could quite feasibly have got something from the game. But why is it that, that Italy are sort of looking like the best team in the tournament right now? 
Just one note on the Italy-Wales game. They were much changed because they'd already qualified. So there were a lot of changes in there. Might not be the most accurate reflection of, of how they will, will line up against Austria. Um, You know, the defence is the bedrock. You've got Bonucci and Chiellini, so much experience in that centre of defence. Seven, they're 70 years old between them, that defensive partnership. And, you know, they've played all sorts of big games, won big titles. Donnarumma is an excellent goalkeeper, only very young, but consistently solid. I've been really impressed by Spinazzola down the left flank and, and Locatelli scoring those two goals in, in the middle game, I think, against against Switzerland. And then you've just got strikers in great form. Chiro Immobile was one of the, the top strikers in in Europe this season in, for, for his club. They've got Insigne, um, just, just a wealth of talent all the way through. And they're, in terms of their play as a team, I just find them so dynamic and so quick. If you look at that 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 last goal that they scored against Turkey, where it was just one touch passing all the way across the pitch to set up Insigne to curl it in at, at the back, it was just it was it was too quick for the opponent to react. You can't do anything about that. So they're just a, a team with great players in great form all together at the same time, which is a, a bit of a daunting task for Austria. Is it in a sense a prize for a team like Austria anyway? If we're being realistic about it, the prize is to qualify, to be in a knockout game. You know, this is the big stage. People will be watching from all around the world. Austria v Italy at Wembley. You know, this in itself, just making that game is is something to, yeah, something to celebrate. It's it's a reward for Austria's endeavours in the group stage. It's a reward for, for you know, just getting to the tournament and, and doing this well so far in the sense that it doesn't really matter what happens. Is, do you think that's that's true to say? Yes, to a point, Tom, but I do feel like uh, if Austria go in this game and lose 6-0, you know, that, that's going to be the overriding <laughs> feeling of this tournament, isn't it? But um, they have nothing to lose. And this is why you become a professional footballer, to play like to play at Wembley Stadium, a knockout game against the arguably the best team in the tournament. This is what you play football for. And this will be the, the biggest Austria national team game probably in a generation. So... Everything to play for. If you're these players, you, you, you are salivating at the prospect of this tie. And you will go in the tie, massive underdogs, nothing to lose. This is, I say it again, a cup final. And, and Foda, yes, for all his, his negativity and all his conservatism, potentially in this game, that could all be used. You know, the, the, this, who knows, Tom? Who knows? This is the great thing about a tournament football at, at this stage. Anything can happen. If if Austria bring Italy to penalties, then it's a lottery, you know. But it's going to be a tough, tough, tough task. But who knows? Who knows? I read a commentary by Fritz Neumann on Standard uh, earlier, and he said we don't need to try and be Denmark in 1992 or Greece in 2004 and go all the way. But he said we can take inspiration from the likes of Iceland in 2016. You know, going into their knockouts as as extreme underdogs and, and still managing to prevail against, you know, I don't like to remind ourselves of it, but against England. Um, so there's no reason why why Austria can't do something like that. It obviously just looks a formidable task on paper at the outset. It definitely does. I think to wrap up the podcast on a, 
on a positive note, on, on a note looking forward to the game at Wembley against Italy, which could well be a long night. Um, let's look back to the Austria team. Uh, they, they've really done well now in this tournament. But who has been your your standout player? I'd like to go around and, and see who, who, we've, who we've been impressed by the most so far. So I'll start with Simon. I mean, it has to be Alaba, doesn't it? I mean, it has to be Alaba. But if we're going to say a player that's not Alaba, probably Florian Grilich. I think he's he's coming to his own this tournament. He's, he's been very, very good. It's hard to pick out one player for the whole tournament because I think different players have shone in different games. You look at, at Grilich playing so well in the Ukraine game. You've had, um, you know, Arnautovic playing really well against North Macedonia. So it's, it's hard to pick out one player over the whole tournament. But, you know, I'm going to give a shout out to Backman. Solidly consistent performances aside from that, you know, that one blip in the opening game, which was a bit of a, a bit, Alaba had a bit of a hand in that as well. So I'm going to, going to give a shout out to him. Yeah, good calls, I think. I'll go with Stefan Leiner if we're going for a player who's actually looked good across all three games. I think uh, Leiner, how many times have you seen Leiner like bursting forward down the wing or going back down the wing as well? He's made some stunning tackles. He's been involved at both ends of the pitch. He always looks like he wants it. And I think the fact that he was sprinting forward to get onto the end of Sabitzer's pass and scored that volley in the opening game, that kicked off Austria's tournament, really. And it set the tone for how Austria would play against North Macedonia and eventually against Ukraine. So for me, for, for services to uh, to the attack and defence, it goes to uh, to Stefan Leiner so far. But we'll need everybody to be on their best form against Italy at Wembley. You need another performance uh, of, of the calibre of the one against Ukraine and then a bit of luck and a bit of an off day for Italy, and who knows. But uh, it's definitely a massive occasion for Austrian football fans to just enjoy. No pressure, no worries. Go out there, see what happens. Uh, you know, it's just Austria back on the big stage, and it's not easy to even get there. So I'm really looking forward to that. I hope you're looking forward to it as well. I'm sure we'll be catching up again, either online or with a podcast at least, to look back uh, at the end of Euro 2020, however far Austria can make it in the tournament. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please consider leaving us a review on your podcast platform of choice. That's extremely helpful to us. We also have a Patreon page if you wish to chip in a few euro each month to help us out. That's over at patreon.com forward slash other Bundesliga. Special thanks go to Gabriel Geber at Torn Geber Studios for this lovely music and also to the gentlemen creatives for their other Bundesliga logo artwork.